0: Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hello, Bonnie. It's great to be with you today. It's great to be with you. Now, to everything, there is a season. And we've entered a new season here at the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. As many of our listeners may know, our longtime executive director, Michael chico Chopo, retired at the end of the calendar year. And so the beginning of this calendar year began the tenure of the Federation's next commander in chief, Christopher Pushaw. Chris is a brilliant, passionate, and longtime advocate for life. And we are so excited to see where his leadership takes the Federation and the pro-life movement in Pennsylvania. We'll catch up with Chris in a little bit. In addition, today, Maria will discuss the new chair of the US Senate Pro-Life Caucus. But first, we'll begin with a little bit of pro-life inspiration. And this one is a happy update on a previous inspiration from a podcast we did in November. I had shared that several members, several dozen members, actually, of our local community came together to throw a beautiful and big baby shower for a young woman who was pregnant, but without any real support. Early in the pregnancy, she did research abortion procedures and realized she did not want to have an abortion. The father of the baby did not want her to have an abortion either, but wanted to help parent the child. Her parents and siblings, on the other hand, wanted her to get an abortion. And when she refused, They kicked her out of the house. At age 19 and about four months pregnant, she moved in with the family she didn't even know. And after several weeks, she found housing in another community. Despite relationship issues, financial issues, and employment issues, she remained focused on preparing to welcome her son. Well, I am happy to report that this young woman gave birth to a healthy six-pound boy in early January, and both are doing very well. He's got a head full of beautiful dark hair and he's nursing well. He is a gift to his parents and to the world, and he will surely make his mark. He is alive today because his parents resisted the pressure to end his life in the womb. They allowed the natural instinct to protect their child to guide them rather than fear, threats, and doubt they displayed tremendous courage and self-sacrifice. And like for most parents, challenging times will lie ahead for all of them. But one thing is sure, as this little child grows and thrives, as they love him through infancy, toddlerhood, adolescence, and his teens, they will be forever grateful that they protected his precious life. And so are we.
1: Maria. Bonnie, thank you so much for that inspirational story. Now, this is from an article from lifenews.com. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, a Republican from Mississippi, a pro-life advocate, announced that she will serve as the 118th Congress Chair of the Senate Pro-Life Caucus, the central organizing point for senators to protect and defend the right to life from conception. Hyde-Smith assumes the chairmanship from U.S. Senator Steve Daines, a Republican from Montana, who founded the caucus in 2019 to advance pro-life policies, vet legislation through a pro-life lens, and facilitate collaboration between pro-life organizations and senators. The caucus also provides important oversight to hold the Biden administration accountable for its radical pro-abortion policies. The success of Mississippi's challenge to Roe versus Wade has changed the landscape of the pro-life movement by returning the power to the people and their elected representatives to protect life, something that requires us to renew and readjust how we work to advance our cause, Hyde-Smith said. As chairman of the pro-life caucus, I will lead the fight in the Senate to protect unborn children and their mothers from abortion and to combat the misinformation and extreme agenda of the abortion industry. It is an honor to continue the great work Senator Daines began in forming the Senate Pro-Life Caucus, she said. Bonnie. Thank you, Maria.
0: It's always exciting to have new leadership. And on that note, I'm happy to introduce our next guest. Christopher Pushaw Esquire is the new Executive Director and General Counsel for the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Chris graduated from the Catholic University of America and obtained his law degree from Yale Law School, where he served as an essays editor on the Yale Law Journal. He has served in a variety of private and corporate legal positions throughout the Delaware Valley, including as Assistant General Counsel for Bank of America and General Counsel for Maurice Piers in Wildwood, New Jersey. Chris served as a volunteer with Pennsylvanians for Human Life Educational Services for over 20 years. He began by giving presentations on the constitutional backdrop and ramifications of Roe in schools, and then served on PHL's board of directors. In 2021, he finished 10 years as its president and general counsel. He joined the staff of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation in 2022 as part-time general counsel. He is now our full-time executive director as well, replacing Michael chico Chopo, who retired after 21 years in that position. We are so grateful that Chris has answered the call and so happy he could be here with us today. Welcome, Chris.
2: Thank you, Bonnie. Happy to be here. So
0: Chris, you've been at the helm of the Federation for 11 days and off to a very strong start. What are your first reactions or thoughts regarding your new position?
2: Well, I, I kiddingly said in the first couple of days that the sign that you're busy is, is of a cluttered desk and mine was certainly replete with letters to write and um, initiatives that Michael had started that, that are continuing into the new year. I think probably uh, my, my, my best and first impression is that I have inherited and I've been blessed to inherit a very good staff here at the Federation. Um, I think Michael did a very good job of transitioning me as best he could into the new role. Uh, I know that I'm stepping into some some sizable shoes with Michael's examples and stewardship of the Federation. Uh, But so far it's been a mix of administrative uh, things and uh, fundraising. Uh, We had our first uh, meeting uh, to discuss how our March appeal is going to look and how we're gonna ask for Uh, continuing support from our donors in light of a lot of seismic political changes not only uh, last year with the Dobbs decision but also with uh, some of the electoral results that weren't as promising as we would have liked. Um, I think one one thing that was interesting is that you know I've I've never really held or or controlled a leadership position where I had this big of a staff so some of it is just getting to meet everyone and, and learn uh you know their their ways and mannerisms and how they like to do things um i was always a big star trek geek so i I like to think that my leadership style is reminiscent of captain james t kirk so uh you know kind of approachable and affable but uh still very much still learning my way and excited to be here
1: chris what brought you into the pro-life movement
2: uh, that's a good question, Maria. Uh, initially, it really was probably the example of my mother. Uh, she had been a devout pro-lifer. First of all, she was the mother of five children. I was the caboose by 13 years. She was a grandmother to seven and eventually was a great-grandmother to three. So we would you know, generally talk about not just the abortion issues, but in the 80s, we would have a lot of discussions around the dinner table about uh, pro-life issues and Um, At the time, you know, these varied from, you know, Ronald Reagan's administration, I was a little bit too young for Jimmy Carter, uh, but through uh, George Bush, and, you know, it was always something that I think was was critical to us, I mean, my mom had a natural example, I think, as I got older, and started to get more into uh, the deep, the deep structure and the deep logic, as it were behind Roe and the constitutional, uh, its, its backdrop and ramifications, it really started to bother me as early as high school that I thought, you know, we, we live in a country that the constitution structure to protect the most underprivileged and the most voiceless and the most de- defenseless. And those same protections, for whatever reason, did not extend to the unborn uh, who are the most defenseless and the most voiceless. So that really inspired me when I was at Catholic University uh, to continue my studies. Uh, and principally, it, it probably really, my interest really peaked when I was at Yale. Uh, I wrote a couple of papers at the time. This was in the late 90s, early 2000s. I wrote a paper on what, what grew out of the partial birth abortion ban controversy uh, during the Clinton administration. But my paper eventually morphed into, at the time, uh, with embryonic deselection what my thesis in the paper was basically Roe was was essentially uh, Justice Blackman had conceived of it as a negative right that you could choose to terminate your pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all within uh, the first two trimesters Uh, but you know what I had begun to see especially at Yale is you know you see these ads for you know looking for a male sperm donor with 1400 SATs and six foot tall and all these other genetic prerequisites and then I started to, to, to read into this with uh, you know embryonic deselection and kind of almost a, this dystopian brave new world frontier it opened up where I, I'm entitled to the perfect baby and if they fail to be perfect then it then they just become so much collateral damage um, and so it was it was I tried to get that published in the journal uh, shockingly that was <laughs> that was not successful. Um, but uh, I did I did manage to to get an honors on the paper and, th- and Maria that probably framed both my legal and philosophical and ethical convictions for the movement.
0: Chris, I mentioned in the intro that you have given many many talks um, at schools throughout the greater Philadelphia area. I wonder if you could talk about that experience of going into the schools and talking to young people and, and some of your takeaways and. And if any of that experience will influence your leadership at the federation
2: oh definitely that that is, is kind of a natural segue one thing i forgot to mention uh, to to how i got involved when i returned uh from law school i, I worked in new york for a couple of years i'm a philadelphian uh, by born and bred but when i had gotten back i wanted to get more involved directly in the pro-life movement and advocacy, and a woman named Martha Short, who used to be the executive director for Pennsylvanians for Human Life, which is the southeastern affiliate of the federation, had invited me to a training. And Bonnie, as you said, I would go into, you know, the area Catholic schools in the Delaware Valley and bring the pro-life message to those students. And what I had found is, you know, you go to enough uh, early early classes at seven o'clock in the morning on a frozen tundra at, 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 you know, nine o'clock. And most of the kids are just still waking up or aren't particularly interested in hearing about abortion or euthanasia. But what I found was there would always be one or two people that would either be intrepid enough to raise their hand, or what I found more strikingly would come up after the class and say, you know, they would range from things from, you know, why do you do what you do you know what led you to this movement? Why do you feel compelled to to articulate the, you know this vision and spread the pro life message? And I always felt like you know yeah it would be great to persuade or inspire 30 kids, but if I could get home to like one to two or three and really get them to think deeply about these issues, and more importantly as I did bring them home and discuss them over the dinner table, you know that. That then my job was done. I mean, PHL was principally educational; it was not political. And so you never kind of there were there were no precise metrics to measure how you did or or you know if you saved a woman from having an abortion. But we would go, and I would go into uh, you know single sex schools and girls' schools, and I always found that those environments were the most conducive to spreading the message. I would generally, as an attorney. Uh, go into the backdrop of of Roe and and what led to Roe and Griswold with the contraception cases, and subsequently what led to the Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act, Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 92. And a lot of the the kids would say, you know, well actually, I'm sorry, the theology teachers would say this is the first, you know, time these kids have heard this stuff this year. And so I think just being there, and articulating a vision and and witnessing to this cause and this mission was powerful enough for a lot of these kids. And I see that in a more evolutionary way in my position now uh, to be sort of the face of the movement, particularly in Pennsylvania, uh, to have all these resources and to marshal them, um, which is with, with, with a very challenging landscape right now that we're encountering.
1: And and what do you see as the major challenges of the movement today?
2: I think the movement in general, if I could just speak nationally, I mean, we we were both at the National Right to Life Conference last May when Dobbs dropped. What I found interesting was, as that led to the election cycles, I mean, we had this big shot in the arm and this jolt of adrenaline because after 50 years Roe had been overturned and then it became, you know this odd uh, political messaging where the other side went immediately to the exceptions for rape and incest and every you know politician that was running uh on on the conservative or republican side was damned because either because of that exception or because it was being turned into a quote you know woman's health issue which i think um just started this mindset where the baby and the unborn child is completely removed from the conversation, uh, and also particularly the fathers. You know, when, when lost in all of this swirl about, you know, rights and my body and, and my child and my decision is the fact that the fathers have no legal right to that decision. Um, that's often, you know, uh, traipsed over. I mean, I think the other thing too, if, if, a lot of the pro-choice or pro-abortion advocates are that excessively concerned about women's. If they see abortion as a woman's health issue, I think in the wake of when the Kermit Gosnell clinics got shut shut down, um, and also particularly now with the advent just this week of the FDA uh, licensing, kind of what was it? What was a telemedicine initiative during COVID, but basically abortive patients through the mail, which lead to. A host of complications. Um, you know, what I find interesting about that is that in the wake of Dobbs, inspiringly, states like Ohio have passed, you know, abortion bans. Um, but if they can still get these abortive patients through the mail at any stage of pregnancy, you know, I think for me, constitutionally and legally, that's that's an, a very interesting issue in and of itself. And I also think it's an insidious way that, you know what Dobbs essentially did was, you know, drop the gauntlet on the states to figure out this issue and to articulate, um, you know, their legislation on the abortion issue and, and pro-life issues. And I think there are these, you know, the way in which these back channel uh, insidious initiatives are, are, are kind of counteracting that and retarding those processes, I think those are immense challenges. I think on a state level, Maria, you know, the fact that here in Pennsylvania, I, 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 don't, I think we have barely lost the majority of, of the pro-life uh, caucus in the House of Representatives. We still have a majority in the Senate, but obviously with Josh Shapiro in office, uh, we have a, a, a governor that's gonna be inimical to a lot of pro-life initiatives. Um, so, I mean, I think that the, the issue, the, the primary challenge we face is how do you, keep the momentum and the inspiration of Dobbs going in the face of these sort of immediate uh, challenges to our our political landscape and our legislative makeup.
1: What is your vision for the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation?
2: Um, that's another good question. Um, I think one of it is that I think we, we have to change uh, the mindset. I mean, obviously the Federation is the largest single issue uh, pro-life nonprofit organization in the state. We have an immense array of resources, both educational and politically that we can deploy in a strategic way to counteract the challenges I just, I just addressed. One of it is that, you know, I, I in any, in any transition you want to keep continuity of what went before. Um, you know, and so I hope to emulate Michael Chicachopo's and continue his leadership and his vision. Um, my own personal vision, perhaps coming from my educational backdrop, is that I think some of it is just it's it's critical to educate not only the populace but our own legislators who are ostensibly pro-life on what these issues are and what. What might be coming downstream because I don't think if the election cycle taught us anything they weren't always prepared to answer the hard questions about the abortion issue. Um, And I think that mindset really has to to change before we're going to make any significant headway, I think, you know, there was no good time for Dobbs to drop and I'm glad it did drop last year. Uh, but I think with that coming right before an electoral cycle, as I outlined before, I think the other side had leapt on that, you know, went to the extremist exceptions and really clouded the issue as they're very good at doing. Um, so I think, you know, part, part of the vision is, again, to be a strong uh, voice for this movement, particularly in Pennsylvania. We obviously have to adapt our strategy to deal with the political realities of what just happened with the election. Um, I think that will lead us to be somewhat on the defensive. Uh, Last year, I mean, obviously, there was a pending constitutional amendment uh, which would not have recognized that there's a fundamental right to abortion uh, in the Pennsylvania Constitution. Unfortunately, that one probably, the the fact that we're not going to have the votes to pass that will lead that to die on the vine a little bit. Now, I'm not a defeatist. I, I think that there are certain ways in which you can play defense, but in a way that advances and promotes your mission as well. I think sometimes you have to knit together the resources you have at your disposal, both legislative and educational. educationally. Um, part of the vision also, in terms of articulating our message and our mission to our members and our donors is to say, you know, we're still here because just because Dobbs uh, dropped and essentially outlawed a federal constitutional right to abortion doesn't mean that our work is over. And certainly in Pennsylvania, it's quite the opposite. Um, as I said, the, you know, the gauntlet has been thrown at the state level uh, for us to, to fulfill, I think, the promise of Dobbs and the vision of Dobbs uh, and, and to educate, you know, people ba- on what its holding was. Uh, and what it challenged the states to do. Uh, so, you know, I think it's going to be a mixture of educational and, and political outreach, which is consistent with the Federation's mission. I think it, the big vision is to adapt and articulate those efforts to a, an unfortunately changed political landscape in Pennsylvania right now.
0: Well, Chris, you've been a main player in the pro-life movement already, um, being very well-versed in the issues and um, knowing your way around schools and churches and chapters in terms of giving presentations. So as you assume this this new role as the leader of the Federation, you're going to be encountering a lot of old friends, but you're going to also be meeting many new pro-lifers for the first time or many pro-lifers for the first time. Um, I'm specifically thinking about the fact that the Federation is going to kind of be co-hosting in a way or hosting the National Right to Life Convention right here in Pennsylvania um, during your first year uh, as as the um, Executive Director. So that'll be an opportunity for people from all over the country to come to Pennsylvania and get to meet you and get to know the Federation. So I'm wondering, um, what do you want people to know about you, either personally or in terms of your leadership style?
2: Well, uh, one thing I have going for me, I think, is that uh, I'm an affable guy. I like meeting people. I particularly like meeting people who have been drawn to this mission or this calling. I think one of the things, having done this for over 20 years, uh, the backstories of of why people become pro whether they're abortion survivors or you know wanting to be more involved or you know I mean the one thing I found I, I brought this up this week. Um, having grown up as a man in this movement, you know, a lot of times there's this insidious kind of perception that men aren't allowed to have an opinion or to have a voice here. And as I said before, I mean, men are the one, uh, you know, (laughs) the one people, along with the baby, who really don't have a voice in the abortion decision. Um, And, you know, the other thing I've learned, you know, just being president of PHL and even here, there's a value in simply listening to people, uh, listening to what they might want what they need uh, what support they can give Um, and i think a lot of the work of the federation one thing i'm encouraged by having led a chapter of it is that we work together with our chapters at the local grassroots level uh, and we already have some regeneration going not only in york county which started last year but in berks county and the schuylkill Carbon county chapters as well so one of my first things that i authored was a message to the chapters um, but yeah, I mean, never feel feel uh, awkward or reluctant to contact me over email or, or over the phone. Um, I'm really happy to get to start to l- learn about you guys and 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 meet as many people as I can in the state.
1: Chris, in the three minutes we have left, can you tell us what are your major goals for 2023?
2: Uh, one, I, I just again would like to continue the leadership that, that Michael provided. I would also like to uh, make that unique to myself. Um, you know, maybe as my background is an English major, uh, I hope to give my own unique voice and narrative style to the federation's messaging and and how it delivers its mission and its message. Uh, the other thing too is that you know, obviously this all runs on money, and we're, we're, we're you know, wholly dependent on, on the largesse of our benefactors and our donors. Um, so some of that in terms of keeping that voice and contouring it, uh, we have to adapt our message to, you know, a looming recession and the fact that people uh, may be losing their jobs or their financial horizons might be shrinking, and we have to do that with compassion. Uh, but also with an eye toward um, during those types of financially stressed times, you need nonprofits more than ever. And that our work again, it's not over and it, it really in the wake of Dobbs is just beginning. Um, the, you know, the other goal is, is just to, again, um, either through you know, the grassroots initiatives at the chapter level or through the capital, just continue to make sure the Federation is still here Uh, It is under new leadership and administration, but our mission and our goals, even though they do have to adapt, remain the same. Uh, The other thing is is I would like to see us work kind of in concert with a lot of the other coordinate, not necessarily um, uh, single single issue pro-life organizations because we're the biggest, uh, but with other umbrella groups at the State Capitol and beyond, Uh, just to kind of uh, keep our mission going and keep it focused and and keep that cooperation uh, as the lifeblood of our our mission.
1: We've been speaking with Christopher Pouchard, the new executive director and general counsel for the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Thank you so much, Chris.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
1: Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation, All across the Commonwealth, the Pennsylvania pro-life Federation is the largest single issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State with more than 40 local grassroots county based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. To learn more about the inspiring work of the Federation, please visit our website at PAProlife.org and please remember there's always a reason to choose life. Oh, mm-hmm.